And welcome to another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney back with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Mr. Hatch. How are you? Doing well yourself. Hey, we're doing well here. It's it's race week. Haven't been able to say that for a couple weeks. Yes. And it's also a holiday weekend for those of us in the States. Independence Day is the holiday, not the 4th of July. That's a that's a fun fact yes. for news people. Yes. Don't confuse the two. They're used pretty interchangeably, but they shouldn't be. The Honda 200 coming up at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course on Sunday, July 3rd. We'll have a preview of that later in the show. But we kick things off. A ton of silly season tidbits. Not necessarily juicy rumors, but just more confirmation and insight into things that we've already been talking about. And I think we'll we'll start with, I think, probably the most prominent driver in a lot of these conversations, Scott Dixon, Nathan Brown of the Indianapolis Star. I had an interview with Dixon the other day as uh, we record this on Thursday, June 30th, ahead of the holiday weekend here in the U.S. Scott Dixon saying, honestly, I don't see anything changing in what I'm doing currently for the next five years at least. So retirement talk, you can throw that out the window. Also, he says that I'm not sure where the conversations are coming from in regards to Aaron McLaren SP. Dixon says, I haven't been part of any of these conversations, so not really sure where a lot of these things came from. Obviously, a lot of people talk. Even got a few messages from people asking about the same thing. If people are having these conversations, I haven't been a part of them. And he says he's focusing on the season. That's all I've got to say. There's nothing there's really nothing to it. So we can cross off retirement talk. We can cross off him going to Aero McLaren SP, right? Yeah, and I felt like the the McLaren stuff anyway was kind of a long shot with him and Alex Pillow, considering both are under contract for 2023. I don't know if I'm here, I'm going to say Scott Dixon isn't going anyway for the next five years because he hasn't won a race this year. I mean, if that stretch continues, let's say, through the rest of the season and the next season and He's facing a couple years without a win, then maybe he's reevaluating, right? I don't think Chip Ganassi's ever going to say, Scott Dixon, we don't want you here. And and so, in that respect, I'm not surprised. Were there conversations ever had between McLaren and Scott Dixon? Maybe, maybe not. I don't put a lot of stock in any kind of driver that says there was no discussions, because if he's not going anywhere, why would he admit there was discussion? So, I'm not saying, you know, this seemed to be smoke with that. But I don't know how much fire, right, between him and Alex Pillow. Yeah, and while Dixon, you could almost assuredly say that he didn't have those conversations, but maybe his, his, some of his, people, his manager, maybe. yeah, Stefan Johansson, probably at least entertained calls, messages, whatnot about it. And you mentioned Dixon still winless on the season. Um, that would end his consecutive seasons with a win at 17. Also... Different seasons with at least one victory. He has 19 total in his career. So that's kind of the thing on the agenda. And I think that's what he's focused on after a disappointing Indianapolis 500. Whereas everything before that went swimmingly yet again for Dixon, but still no win. Second win, the Indy 500. We can cross him off the list for Aaron McLaren, any of the rumors, and move forward. Next guy on the list, Renus VK. And Nathan Brown, also the Indy star, another article Talking about Renus VK, obviously a critical stretch for him. Last year, Mid-Ohio was the race where he came back from injury and he was beat out by his teammate Connor Daly in every single race, if I'm not mistaken, since his return. VK obviously trying to find 
some better form compared to what he ended last season with and then the struggles he's had this season since the Indy GP where it's been pretty difficult for him in getting results. And you, you look at what he did last year. Again, you got to remember he picked up that first win, but then after coming back in mid-Ohio, no top 15 finishes, so not even top 10 or top 5, no top 15 finishes. And, and Connor Daly, yes, did outperform him at all these race weekends. So, I mean, that that really says a lot about what he wants to do, what he needs to do, and what he had to say as far as where things are at. And, and really, you get into where conversations are for the future for, for Renus VK. And I think that's the ultimate question. So last week, VK told IndyStar his manager, Adrian Sussman, will be at Mid-Ohio undoubtedly to handle some in-person meetings regarding VK's future. Sussman has represented legends of the sport that included Dario Franchitti and the late Dan Weldon. VK said he and Sussman speak on the phone once or twice a week regarding his future plans. It was contract prevents formal negotiations with teams other than Ed Carpenter Racing before August 1st. None of this is a big surprise, right? We speculated on this and that that kind of rumor had leaked out in the months prior, but this is another situation where, yeah, maybe he can't have formal negotiations or his manager can't have, you know, but they can have discussions. They can talk, right? And, and talk leads to something. We all agree that he is probably the top candidate for Aaron McLaren SP of the drivers that would actually be available, right? Right now, yeah. You know, it, it is semantics. Like you said, we, first with Scott Dixon, yeah, he may not be having conversations, but manager may be. And then here, yeah, he can't negotiate to August 1st, but simple handshake is all it takes to really, you know, lock in a deal before you can officially sign anything. But you look at Renus VK and you mentioned after uh, his injury last year and coming back and really struggling through the second half of 2021 and and even 2022 here we are he has just three top 10s and those came in the first four races and since Alabama uh at at Barber with that uh, third place finish it's been 23rd 33rd 16th 17th and he has fallen to 14th in the standings so feels like light years away from the start of the season last year to to now with Renus VK. And I think we're seeing the potential here or there, but since the injury, since he missed Road America last year, there's been a lot of inconsistency, both at the at the end of last year and through the first eight races of this season. I mean, to me, you got to focus on getting results now ahead of what you can do for next year. And it's tough, right? Because you don't feel settled and you may not get as good of results because you're probably pressing a little bit while you're driving, and maybe that's what we're seeing right now is he knows he's in a contract year, he's pressing a bit, and some of, that's where some of those mistakes can creep in. I mean, he can talk to Alexander Rossi about that. I think, you know, for the better part of the last couple of years, Alexander Rossi has kind of been pushing uh, when he's had the opportunity to get good finishes. So, uh, Renus VK just needs to go out and take care of business, and whether that's, you know, come home eighth when you have an eighth-place car or compete for a win if you have a car, uh, that can compete for a dub, then do that. But he cannot continue to be irrelevant and, you know, wreck cars and, you know, underperform on track when he has the opportunity to be better. Well, and let's not forget the one race that's worth double points. He finished last in. So that's a Doesn't killer. Help. 
for your championship bonus. Yeah, it doesn't help. And the fact that, you know, right now 14th in points, he finished 12th last year, even with that those struggles after the injury. Uh, he needs to to do better because I think the expectation for everybody for Renus VK after last year was he said he would at least be in the top ten in points this year and he's out of that spot uh, right now. All right, so the team we haven't necessarily mentioned by name, but a lot of this has danced around this team as far as McLaren's uh, looking into poach from another team and Racer dot com Marshall Pruitt. Ganassi planning status quo for 2023. Uh, he expects all four drivers to return. Jimmy Johnson not announced his plans for next season, but Ganassi says he expects everything to stay the same. He says, my guys are under contract. I asked them if everything's okay, and they said, yeah, everything's okay. I'm not sure what else to say. But naturally, as always, the sure last gets paragraph yep. gets quite juicy. I can tell you this, Chip added, I learned a long time ago in this business that you can't build your team by taking people from other teams. You can't build a team that way. You've got to develop your own drivers, your own people. Well, let me just be the first to say that Ed Jones had a handshake deal with Dale Coyne Racing before Chip Ganassi Racing poached him away a few seasons ago. So. Right. I feel like this is... Um, we're not talking Andretti Autosport here in terms of Chip Ganassi Racing. This, this team does not have a, a fight in the road to Indy. So you could say, in terms of developing talent, they're not involved in doing that either, just like McLaren in terms of the road to Indy. So I understand the dig, but I feel like McLaren is just trying to hire the best drivers it possibly can. And if it sniffs around Chip Ganassi with Alex Plow and Scott Dixon, then if you don't have anything to worry about, then 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 what's the issue? But I love the angst and potential rivalry that has started to build between Chip Ganassi and and McLaren, in particular, Zach Brown. I don't think they're very big fans of each other. No, but this is at least some intrigue because, like you said, what team isn't going to try to hire the best driver that they can? No matter right. what team. I mean, you're always going to at least try. Now you know that you probably can't afford certain drivers when they're on the market as a free agent, but it's worth the shot. It's worth the conversation. And like you said, Aaron McLaren... Is just trying to hire the best people they can, just like Ganassi is trying to hire the best people they can. Right. And the loose definition of poaching and not developing talent, you could say Team Penske is the biggest yeah. poacher, right? They don't really develop talent. They're not in the road to Indy. They're hiring guys that have performed well elsewhere. I mean, Scott McLaughlin is a, is a rarity in that respect. So by definition, Team Penske is the worst offender at poaching. Yeah. And Scott McLaughlin, the name you mentioned, he was the one guy who wasn't poached because yeah, he was he developed, was developed yeah. you know, with a Penske partner team in, in supercars. Yeah, so <laughs> I appreciate Chip's comment. I know how it was directed, but poaching is is kind of like like recruiting. Throwing out that magical recruiting word, right? Is is everybody's kind of doing it? You're just trying to hire the best lineup you possibly can, and if that means other teams are trying to go after your drivers, it's kind of a, a testament to to your organization, right? Absolutely. So. That's it on Ganassi, status quo. Oh, and we forgot one other team where, where we expect the status quo. Not that this is a surprise. This seemed like a given all along. Penske to stick with three cars for 2023 IndyCar season. Also from Racer.com's Marshall Pruitt. Same three cars next year. No mention of a fourth car. You got to remember they have the Porsche Penske Motorsports uh, program as well. And you kind of wonder if 
any of their current drivers, Power, Newgarden, McLaughlin, could maybe play in for the Rolex 24 at Daytona as an extra driver for that. That's about it. There's there's really nothing new here and nothing that we expected to be new. Yeah, nothing to see here. And I think it leads into a conversation now with Silly Season is, what are we really keeping an eye on outside of that McLaren seat? Because you look at Andretti, okay, we know what their lineup's going to be. Chip has confirmed what his team's going to look like. Penske has confirmed what they're going to look like. So where are the storylines? Do we expect some big movement of the low, you know, I don't want to say lower tier, but the second tier? Do we see moves at Ray Hall Letterman? Do we see moves at Ed Carpenter, depending on Renus VK situation? You look at Coin, uh, Hunkos. Is that kind of where we're at now in terms of driver movement? Because in terms of sexy storylines, in terms of silly season, we're running out of angles outside of that McLaren seat. Yeah. And speaking of that McLaren seat, Zach Brown telling com in regards to Felix Rosenquist. Really, the determining factor is I want to put together the best driver lineups across all my racing series, and Felix is in a unique position. He's a race winner in both IndyCar and Formula E. And Zach went on to say, I think he's the only driver to have won in both series, and I would think he's correct. I can't think of anyone else who's done I don't both. Think so, yeah. So that is, that is intriguing, and it does make sense when you put it on that angle, because of his success in both series. But eventually, I mean, we're going to have to have an answer. And if Felix is the odd man out, you would think one of these other teams you mentioned would jump at the chance to have him. Right. I, I, I like the spin by Zach Brown because it, it makes sense. And uh, I, th- I think they do trust Felix Rosenquist to pilot a car in either IndyCar or Formula E. I think he is that versatile. But... I do think that Zach Brown has purposely left the door open on the IndyCar side in aiming to try to pick up a quote-unquote better driver for that seat. And I think he's going to exhaust all options for that seat before he confirms Felix Rosenquist is coming back. So we'll see how that plays out, and I wouldn't expect an answer soon. Basically, it sounded like months away from that decision being made. Well, it very much could be over the next rest of the season. It's... It's very much a tryout for Felix Rosenquist to see how he performs, to see whether he'll be back in IndyCar or back in Formula E in 2023. And then we had some news on the Indy Lights side that was quite fascinating amongst a few teams. First off, HMD Motorsports, they expect to expand to six cars in 2023. Has anyone ever ran six cars in lights? Like, when's the last time somebody ran that many cars in lights? I mean, Schmidt. For a long time, ran a lot of cars, but I don't know if they ever ran I think they six. ran maybe four or five, maybe. Yeah. I mean, Andretti's always kind of been three or four. It's just, it's amazing. It's it's great. So Mike Marini, who is uh, leading the team, said that the influence of series owner Penske Entertainment and Roger Penske has been the biggest influence on lengthening the entry list. Prize money also up, 20000 to win now, 15000 for second, 10000 for third. So that part has gone up. And obviously they still have plans to expand into IndyCar. We touched on that last week as they won a second uh, entry with Dale Coyne Racing next year and then eventually have their own standalone HMD IndyCar team. That's how you do it. I mean, it's the grassroots. This is part of the reason we talk. You know, so much is made about the drivers progressing, but it's also a training ground for teams. And HMD, I feel, is doing it the right way. And you know, maybe you expand next year to maybe a couple races in IndyCar, but I, I would expect 2024, if things go well, to maybe have a partial IndyCar program for HMD. 
And then another name uh, in Indy Lights, Legacy Autosport. They will move up to Indy Lights. They plan to enter two cars next season as well. Currently, they field a car for Simon Sykes in USF 2000. Uh, this year, they also enter cars in Indy Pro 2000 uh, over the years. So another development. And I did not know this, but the owner of the team, Louis Michael Meyer, great-grandson of Louis Meyer. I did not know that. That's uh, fascinating. Now, this Legacy Autosport deal, this is where they are going to sell their assets for USF 2000 and Indy Pro 2000 and just compete next year in Indy Lights. So what Indy Lights has gained is a loss for the lower tiers of the road to Indy. Yes. So they are selling their USF 2000 and Indy Pro 2000 cars uh, to purchase an Indy Lights chassis. So that that is... I mean, mean, it's fine. That's how it works. Uh, Yeah, it's how it works. Not every team can continue to expand and add cars at every level. I mean, ideally, that's the way you'd like to see it. But... They're making a move to what they see as more lucrative and potentially going forward, maybe partner with an IndyCar team in the next two or three years, something like that. But uh, you can't blame them at this point. And it, it definitely helps the fields in Indy Lights for sure. All right. One name we haven't talked about, and there's nothing new with this, but another name to keep on the radar for IndyCar for 2023, Vassar Sullivan. What do they do? Do they decide to run a team standalone because they used to be partnered with coin in the past. It's a good point. And something that we haven't heard very much about, right? I mean, we've seen, you know, random, random spots with, Oh, Jimmy Vassar's here and there in terms, he's still around the paddock, right? But haven't got a sniff of his plans and do they want to be a standalone team? That was kind of at last report, kind of what they wanted to do. But I think we're going to get to this conversation here in a little bit later, Caleb, but we're looking at expansion when we look at, at what Vassar Sullivan could do and what Hunkos is planning to do and maybe Dale Coyne and what they're planning to do is there's an apex here somewhere, and I don't know if it's 28 cars or 30 or, or more, where you're going to have to limit the fields, Right. At, the, at least places like Mid-Ohio and Toronto. Do yeah, you, those are the two tracks that said, oh, it's tight when we have more right. than 24, right? Yeah, and I see both sides. Like, part of me is like, hey, Mid-Ohio, well, why don't you expand your pit lane? You know, because they have, do they have Bush Series? What used to be Bush Series? Xfinity. Xfinity. Do they have trucks? I thought they had an Xfinity race. For where? For Mid-Ohio. Uh, they have Xfinity. But they have more than... 28 cars, right? In Xfinity? So how are they pulling that off? Yeah, the, it's they have tighter pit boxes. Okay. Is my understanding. So on one side of me is saying, Mid-Ohio, you need to figure it out. It's a little bit more difficult for Toronto, obviously. It's the middle of a city. But the other side of me is like, you know, how many cars is too many cars? I mean, some people will say there is, there is no such thing as too many cars. I would disagree. But... That's me. And it's a great problem to have. Look, if you would have asked me five years ago if this conversation was even be had, I'd be shocked. But I think you're trending in that direction, particularly when you look at a leader circle, that the more full-time entries you add, the less full-time entries are getting that leader circle money, which is right now, what, the top 22? Top 24? Top 22, we believe. Yeah. So... I think it's a, a fascinating question as we look at a couple more of these teams now either trying to break in to the series or expand their operations. 
because you're looking at if everything falls into place, potentially 30 full-time cars next year. And Cup right now is what, 36 at most races? I think they go up to 40. Yeah, they'll go up if they have some, but most races are are 36 cars. I mean, less than a decade ago, it was you were looking at 21, 22 cars for IndyCar and 43 cars for Cup. Who would have imagined at this point? No, it's no one would have thought it would have done the kind of a reversal where a cup. Remember, it used to always be 43 was the cap. Yeah. And then they lowered it to 40. Yeah. Now it's 36. And those places start and park cars. I mean, that's not a thing anymore. Correct. I don't think so. But I think the only place they really have, quote unquote, bumping is Daytona. I want to say everybody else. You show up, you you start. There may have been some at Talladega this year as well. Okay. Maybe, maybe the super speedways a little bit, you know, where you, the certain teams only have super speedway, um, you know, cars. But, yeah, I, I think it's a greater conversation to have at some point is how much is too much. Because then you look at qualifying, and especially in road and street courses, and you're trying to find open areas on track for a clean lap and it's difficult when you have 23, 24 cars out of there, let alone 30. So, you know, at the very least, if you're going to expand that big, you're going to have to redo, I think the qualifying format. All right. So that's everything for 2023 silly season, right? I mean, as of right now, there's, there's other open questions. um, But in terms of what we learned over the past week, it was a lot of more confirming things than real movement. Well, we have one item for 2022 silly season that unfortunately is ongoing. AJ Foyt racing, a lot of rumors that Rocket has been late or has missed payments. And the number 11 entry that is split between Tatiana Calderon and J.R. Hildebrand came into question in their pre-race release. Um, The number 11 running beyond mid-Ohio is, quote, not guaranteed due to funding issues with Rocket. And Larry Foyt saying, I know Rocket wishes to continue the program, but there are some issues which may prevent that. We will continue to either resolve it or try to find alternate funding, which is difficult at best at this point. Meanwhile, the 14 is not sponsorship dependent. That car's good to go. Obviously, Kirkwood's lights scholarship money of $1.2 million significantly helps that the helps. bottom line for that entry. Well, Williams is like, Foyt, you're feeling our pain, right? As Rocket was involved in with Williams and Formula One, and you know, unfortunately, if the if the checks don't come, there's really nothing you can do at this point. So, it, it from from reading between the lines and and hearing some things, it sounds like Rocket was substantially behind, and they've paid some money to catch up, but maybe they're not all the way caught up, or maybe it's at this point a race to race type deal. But it's unfortunate. Is this the second year for Rocket or first? I think the third. Because they came on board in 2020 with Bourdais. But man, you felt so good because it was a couple full-time cars that were primary sponsor was Rocket. And you're like, okay, this is a step in the right direction for Foyd. And especially after they they lost ABC Supply, right? With the exception of them sponsoring for the 500. Right. And you felt, okay, this is exactly what they need. And, and you know, now there's... There's woes about you know getting checked. So hopefully it works out for Foyt and that 11 car stays on track for the rest of the season. But at this point, it sounds kind of like a, a week-to-week type thing. 
And a name to keep in mind, MarshallBirdOfRacer.com points out this tidbit in his article on the situation. With Voigt's growing relationship with Indy Lights frontrunner Benjamin Peterson, the Danish-American driver has been mentioned as a possibility to make his IndyCar race debut with the team. The number 11 car provided it's available on one of the remaining road courses on the calendar. I, I would mean, say, unfortunately, I expect that to happen before the end of the season. Well, and the thing with Tatiana Calderon is that was a rocket push, wasn't it? Correct. They, they wanted Calderon in that seat. They wanted her there, and they made it happen. Yeah, so not to take anything away from Calderon, but I would say if Rocket's on shaky ground, Tatiana Calderon is on shaky ground because that was an initiative really pushed by the sponsor from what we understand. Yes, so that would mean... Like you said, I mean, could, could this weekend be it for her in IndyCar for this season? It, it I mean, very well could. I mean, could this be the final race ever for Tatiana Calderon in IndyCar? I mean, maybe. Do we expect Peterson to swoop into that seat with the exception? I mean, he's not going to run the ovals. He's not going to be at Iowa or Gateway. I would think they either wouldn't run the car based on funding or if they had enough to make it happen that they would just keep Hildebrand in that seat. Right. I, I just feel it's a it's a very tough task to thrust an Indy Lights driver into the second half of the season. I mean, this is a guy that's third right now in points behind Linus Lundquist and Stingray Rob. He's not running away with the championship or anything. I just have a tough time believing that that's the best move for team and driver to really throw him in for the remainder of the season at this point does not have a win has three second place finishes. So he's knocked on the door, knocked on the door. But I think when we look at Devlin DeFrancesco and, and other guys that we feel that aren't ready yet, I'm not convinced that Benjamin Peterson is, is ready for IndyCar. I, I think, you know, he's got what one test under his belt with Foyt. Maybe we see a couple more. He had the test, I believe with Hunkos Hollinger. Okay. He did it. Hunkos, not Foyt. Okay. So maybe we see a, a test with Foyt or something. I just, I don't know if the best idea is putting him in that. Now, the last one or two races of the season, maybe, but I don't look at it as saying, okay, starting at Toronto, Peterson's going to be in that seat. Yeah, this will be the storyline, I think, to watch not only this weekend, but next week as well, as far as silly season goes and, and, and everything Yes, we'll have storylines on the track, but off the track, we're still trying to figure out Aaron McLaren SP, and now we have this secondary storyline with Foyt, where we know that two of their entries are safe with Dalton Kellett and Kyle Kirkwood, but after that is a massive question mark for the number 11 car for the remainder of the 2022 NTT IndyCar Series season. Okay, we shift to a great article on scheduling for IndyCar that you sent to me, I think, over the weekend from therace.com. Jack Binion, the writer here. is full of goodies. A lot of goodies here. Headline, the key decisions set to shape IndyCar's calendar future. And Mark Miles, uh, interviewed in this piece, said, not sure there'll be any existing races that drop off or new tracks that are added for 2023. But the caveat right after that, but a willingness to promote races itself could pave the way for an exciting future. How about that for a pivot? I mean, I think this is one of the overarching things before we get into these details that'll break down with Roger Penske and the Penske Corporation taking over IndyCar is before the previous regime, previous owners were like, we're not in the business 
of promoting races and well except they did every year with <laughs> well, the Indy 500 and then the Indy GP well i mean a lot of races how about that like we're we're not interested in in doing that and whether it was cost infrastructure personnel all the above that wasn't their stance and now i think you're seeing a penske corporation with the personnel with the capital uh, with the proper people and the infrastructure to do that potentially i, I don't think you're ever going to see indycar want to promote eight nine ten eleven races on their own but three four five a year outside on top of the 500 and the uh the races at the uh on the road course i definitely could see it well, let's look at it now because they're already, I think, promoting close to a half dozen races. You have the Indy 500, it's Penske Entertainment. You have the Indy GP, Penske Entertainment. The Indy Road Course 2, Penske Entertainment. Iowa, Iowa Doubleheader, that's five. Five. And then... Detroit? That's, I guess... Pseudo? Pseudo, so that's six. That's true. Right? And I mean, what we're hearing is, could they examine Homestead as one of those... In the future, if Iowa works, could that be a consistent one? They're in in this article. They're throwing Milwaukee out there as a potential. So, yep, maybe it could end up getting to ten races. Who knows? Well, and also Miles points out they're handling ticketing uh, for these events. Also, their their legal department's doing more. If you count Iowa as two, as well, you throw in Detroit. Obviously, you mentioned the road course races. And he sounds open to promoting. Remember right. the the party line before Pinsky took over. Oh, we're not interested in promoting. Yeah. They would when they had to. Like they had to. I think right. with Watkins Glen as a fill in race for Boston back right. in what twenty sixteen and seventeen. They did with Phoenix, but that failed. I mean, it's it's not worked. Not only is it not worked out. I mean, it's failed spectacularly. Right. Yeah. With the previous organization promoting events, but now they're looking to do it. And Miles makes it sound like they're truly open to it. He says, as we think about other markets we'd like to be in, I think we're willing to think about being the promoter in the right circumstances. And so that's exciting because I think it gives us more options for getting into places we'd like to be. So you mentioned some of the places they'd like to be. Obviously, they want to stay in Texas. And Miles says he expects Iowa to be successful. Indianapolis is successful. St. Louis is a vibrant event. Texas is the event that they and we would say is great racing this year, but the event is not what we want, not to our expectations. So we're still talking with them is what Miles said. He also said, we particularly value ovals. We'd like to have ovals before the Indy 500. Ovals, so plural, right? True. Not an oval, ovals. That is true. So you have Texas and they're having discussions with the new brass at Texas Motor Speedway. And it sounds like they are trying to find a way to make it work. Because look, they have a product they can sell finally for the first time since about 2017, 2016. Right. I mean, the, 27, the 2019 race was all right. But they've they've shifted the date around the last couple of years. It's no longer early June night race. So they moved that schedule. And then quite honestly, the racing tanked as well after about 2017, year by year. Right. But like you said, ovals. So what are those ovals? And you mentioned one of them, Milwaukee Mile. The race can confirm that meetings were held between IndyCar and Milwaukee, the Pagoda, during the Indy 500. So it's a right-sized venue for IndyCar, points out 35,000 people that they can fit in that venue. Miles says, we have current discussions about what 
would have to be done to improve the track of the fairgrounds. And we do all agree uh, whether it would or wouldn't be during the annual July, August Wisconsin state fair. It wouldn't. Right. Which to me, I think ideally the ovals before the 500 would be Texas and Homestead because you don't have to worry about weather too much. I, I, you know, you could look at Milwaukee and say, maybe I guess in late April, but you're still playing with fire. Right. And so, and I do think that Milwaukee would be helped by the 500 before it and then feeding into it. But it's an interesting point because, you know, the cell when Andretti was promoting it is, oh, it's going to be built around the state fair. And it was, they were really trying to go for that vibe that we see with the Red River shootout. Yes, the shootout between Oklahoma and Texas at the Cotton Bowl during the Texas State Fair, right? There we saw similarities. Oh, everybody's going to be here anyway. Let's have a big major sporting event. It didn't work. So the fact that they don't want to be part of that is an interesting development. And the talk was, you know, there wasn't enough parking during the State Fair anyway to try to do that. So I feel like a a midsummer day, I, I think a June date at Milwaukee, I think, would be... I think, in my opinion, the the best scenario. That's what one would think. Unfortunately, when did Andretti, uh, when they promoted the mile events about a decade or so ago, when were those events held? In June. But weren't they part of the state fair? No. They weren't part of the state fair? No. Okay. But they had a fair-like atmosphere. Right. Yeah, That's with probably the rides what you're thinking and all of, that stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, Kind of had a, a midway set up in the infield. and. But I mean, you know, from, from stuff that we've heard from people, that it was it was poorly, poorly promoted... Uh, it was not as much as as Andretti tried to sell it. What is like Indie Fest or whatever? It just didn't fly. So, I think a decade later, maybe a decade more of of want of that race to return, and maybe quite frankly, a better promoting plan under Penske Corporation could revive that thing. And funny you say that dovetails perfectly into Miles' next quote in the article. Miles says, I think that's one of those places where really we would probably step in as the promoter. That's not on the cards for next year, but it's an active conversation. And I think you're seeing more of a willingness for Penske Corp. And look, Roger Penske is not a billionaire, his corporation, for no reason. He's not going to rob Peter to pay Paul. He wants to. This is a separate entity. IndyCar and IMS and all that, as opposed to his other business dealings. But he can still take a loss easier than the former owners of the series and the track, right? I mean, he's not tied to that bottom line as much as previous regime. And then at the end of the article, it goes into that proposed race in Argentina at Termas de Rio Hondo in Santiago del Estero in Argentina, talking with Ricardo Juncos. And I thought this quote, was fascinating because we all think, all right, but is the money really there? The money's there, folks. Money is there. Asked if funding the event was the biggest problem, Hunkos replied, no, I think the difficulty now is to see if IndyCar wants to go or not. We can make it happen. It's just the fact that IndyCar needs to decide. Huh. Well, you know, until you get that check in hand, folks, and Boston comes to mind, and China comes to mind, right? I mean... IndyCar's been burned time and time and time again from these from these races that were going to happen, and they got the money and all that, and then the money isn't there. So, I really think if you can convince team owners that all expenses will be paid, 
and then the series that this is going to happen, it's a thing. I think that's the only hurdle. But verbal agreements and, and signing are great. But until you have that check in hand, right, there's still possibility that it doesn't happen. It's a shame that IndyCar doesn't have an international shipping partner as a, a team sponsor. Hmm, yeah. Oh, right? wait. Maybe DHL. they do. <laughs> Hunkos also points this out. Fans from the likes of Brazil, Paraguay, Chile, Bolivia, and Peru could attend a race in Argentina more easily than those in the States, opening up the series to a continent with a strong fan base. You could throw in, I would say, Colombia as well sure. to that. Yes, but it's all on the same lack, continent. Yeah, but do you lack the South American star power in the series comparatively to eight to ten years ago? Yes, but you still have Elio. Could Canaan get a, a, a one-off? Could Montoya get a one-off, for True. example? I mean, you, you still have names, and you still have drivers that would be of interest. Would fans from Mexico want you know go to see Pata Award? That's another possibility that you have to throw in with that as well. But like you said, you don't have the same level of successful drivers from South America like you had a decade ago, even five years ago. Right. And you mentioned Mexico. Is IndyCar, would they more like to tackle Mexico first and make that happen before they make the jump to South America in terms of logistics and all that? Is that an easier sell to the teams and the series in general as opposed to having to fly down to Argentina and take everything down? I mean, that could be a legitimate concern as well. I'd say go where you're wanted and where the money and the True. check clears. If the money is there, I don't see IndyCar turning it down. But going back to it, one you need that check in the bank, right, before you really commit. And one final note on all that, it's a favorable time zone for the American audience. Very true. And Canadian audience and Mexican audience for that matter. Yes, absolutely. So you, Is it on Eastern? It I mean, might be like Eastern, one hour before Central. or one yeah. hour forward of Eastern, but either way, it's it's not a hindrance like Japan or Australia. Yeah, most definitely. All right, time to preview Sunday's Honda Indy 200 at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. Taking a look at the schedule this weekend for IndyCar Practice 1, Friday, July 1st, 3.30 to 4.45 p.m. Eastern. Again, all these times Eastern coverage on Peacock, IndyCar Live for International, Sirius XM, IndyCar Radio as well. Practice 2 on Saturday, 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern. Same outlets. Qualifying for IndyCar, 2.45 to 4 o'clock Eastern in the afternoon, Saturday, July 2nd. And then race coverage on NBC this weekend on Sunday, July 3rd. Broadcast window starts at 12.30 for NBC. Green flag time I've seen is 12.53 p.m. Eastern. Also coverage on IndyCar Live, Sirius XM, IndyCar Radio, and Peacock. All right, we, we look at this race, and we've had a bit more exciting editions of this in recent years than what we, we had for quite some time. I guess, who is your favorite for this weekend? The guy on pole, whoever yes. that is. I mean, the last three races with the two in 2020 and the one last year, were won by the guy who started on pole. Last year was Joseph Newgarden, Colton Herta in race two in 2020, and Will Power in the race number one in 2020. So, um, yeah, whoever whoever's on pole comes Saturday has a great chance of winning this race. And Joseph Newgarden has been phenomenal the last uh, 
last few races at Mid Ohio. So you try to look somewhere else for a winner, but we just keep going to tracks recently that Joseph Newgarden has been able to win really, really good. Some notes from Trackside Online before we make our official picks. 38 IndyCar winners, the starting average starting position for Mid-Ohio, 3.5. Pulsiters won 42.1% or 16 times. Winners come from the front row, 76.3% or 29 times. Only Scott Dixon, who started 22nd in 2014. Remember, that was the year he started last. There was an early crash, and they reworked the strategy. He won there. Then Graham Rahal started 13th in 2015. He pitted right before a caution that I think screwed over Montoya. And Graham... Uh, resume the lead after that. Only those drivers have won from outside the first four rows on the grid. Scott Dixon, six wins. Just Newgarden with two. Elio, Colton Herta, Simon Pagino, Will Power, Graham Rahal, and Alexander Rossi all have one win apiece. And you mentioned Alexander Rossi, and if you're looking for maybe some some money to be made, I think, in betting, you look at the finishes for Alexander Rossi since 2017. Sixth he won it in 2018. He was fifth in 2019. He finished second and third in 2020 uh, with the two races there and finished fifth last year. So Alexander Rossi, if you're looking for uh, uh, maybe, a, I don't know if it's a sneaky pick, but maybe uh, we feel like Rossi's going to win a race at some point this year. Why not Mid-Ohio based on his recent performances? And that goes into our three key stats for Mid-Ohio from Chad 200. Dixon with six wins, 12 top fives, but just one win in the last eight races here. Power, nine front row starts, six podiums. And you mentioned Rossi's recent performance is the best average finish among active drivers at Mid-Ohio. And a couple other notes for this weekend. A lot of changes for the cars. going to be a different look for quite a few drivers. Also for Graham Rahal's 250th IndyCar start will come at his home track this weekend. So let's look over the changes for the cars. So Scott McLaughlin will be in the Odyssey battery car. That's a change. That's new, isn't it? Yes. Marcus Erickson will drive a green car sponsored by Ridgeline. Okay. Then you have Graham Ray Hall in the fifth third bank car. Simona Di Silvestro will be entered into this race in the 16 car, something to keep in mind. You have Romain Grosjean in the Forever Lawn car, which is green and black. Christian Lungard, sponsored by Hendrickson. Similar colors, just a different sponsor for him. And that sums it up. 27 cars entered. I think this is the most we've had at Mid-Ohio in quite some time. And that's another thing to keep in mind. I think 25-foot pit boxes, so it'll be very tight on pit road for these cars. Which they said last year we had 26, and they said we can make that work in a pinch. 27, they're really pushing it. 28 or more, really difficult. And then Jimmy Johnson has a modified livery, darker blue with a Carvana car. Renus VK back to the all orange livery powered by Bitnile uh, for his ride as well. Alex Pillow back with NTT data on board. Kind of the classic look that he has there for him as well. All right, time to make picks. Who do you got? Well, first of all, I'll ask you who has the best odds as of right now per DraftKings to win this race. I would say Joseph Newgarden. Joseph Newgarden at plus 400. The rest of the top five, Alex Pillow at plus 500. Pacho Ward plus 600. Alexander Rossi also plus 600. Colton Herta at plus 700. My pick, Caleb, I'm going to go with 
Man, I'm trying to think of somebody that I... I will go Marcus Erickson with this race. I'm going to keep it in the team, and I'm going to go with Alex Pillow. I mean, you feel like Pillow hasn't won yet. Pillow's got to get a win, right? Dixon's got to get a win. One would think. I mean, we feel like Rossi has a chance to get a win at some point, so we need to have some of these guys win races. But I'm going to go Marcus Erickson. You're going Alex Pillow. So it's Team Ganassi here at New Track Record this week. And you're trying to make it three straight yes, correct I am. picks. So I'm this pressing is a, at it. This is a big deal for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the pressure's been on. I've, I've done hours of research and really crunching numbers and uh, <laughs> just got it down, you know, kind of like Moneyball, just got it down to one number, and that one number led me to Marcus Erickson. Is there a war for, uh, yeah, wins above replacement. Yes, for yeah, IndyCar. they do need that, right? No war for IndyCar. Let's come up with those or a, analytics or a whip. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, due time. Analytics is coming to auto racing. If you agree or disagree with our picks, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast. Our Facebook page, just like us at New Track Record. You can also follow us on Instagram, IndyCar Podcast, as well on there. You can email us, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. And check us out on the web, newtrackrecordpodcast.com. While you're there, check out the store. We have stickers and shirts for sale on the store page on the website. And you can become a patron through Patreon, patreon.com slash newtrackrecord. Thanks to Cole, Rob, and others who are patrons of us on there. And as always, you can find us and follow us for free on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, or wherever you find your podcasts all for free. All right, Justin, mailbag time. Plenty to discuss despite being an off week. Some uh, comments on the Foyt sponsor updates. Scuba Steve 85 says, sounds like Williams all over again. Yeah, fool me once, right? With Rocket. And it seems like it's happening once again. You posed this question that got a ton of responses. Should any car cap its starting fields at a certain number? If so, what's the magic number? 27, 28, 30? We, we talked about this earlier here in the show, but also earlier in the week because it seems to be a problem. Now, do I expect it to stay a problem next year? No, because we always have turnover. We never get as much increase as they report, but it does start creeping up. So to me, that number is 26 with the exception of obviously 33 at the Indy 500 an any 500-mile race that they You run. would cap it at 26. Yes. Which is what we're at this year, right? At most races, 26. Yes. I'm thinking 28, I feel, is the number. I know yeah. some people are kind of, you know, don't cap anything, but... I, I only argue for 26 because it's tough for Toronto and it's tough for Mid-Ohio. Yeah. Which are the same promoter. Right. You have to think about True. that. Yeah. And... Green Savory. You don't want to lose your Toronto event that we haven't had for three years now. Right. And I, it seems like there to be, I mean, the track build has started up there for the Honda Indy Toronto and it seems like there's demand. I'm just curious how this goes because it's the first race there in three years and it'll be streaming only on Peacock. I think we can all agree the the number, the TV number will be horrendous. Hopefully it's a successful event for the promoters and it's still Toronto remains a thing, but yeah, I just, I mean, some people are going to say, hey, excuse me, what's gained or what's lost? Dying. I'll help you out. I'll take over. <laughs> A lot of replies here. Jeff Cernaski says, I think it depends on the track, the number of full-time entries, and the safety concerns of the particular track. I think most tracks can safely handle 28 to 30. 
Toronto and Mid-Ohio 26. So it's basically the exact right. kind of back and forth we had. So I could be convinced of that. The Roth says during the offseason, set a maximum for each track. That tells teams to expect possible bumping, and you won't get part-time entries for those tracks or tell those tracks they may find themselves off the schedule if they don't add more room. Which, I mean, yeah, sounds good in theory, but I don't think IndyCar is in a position to force tracks to do anything. Formula no. One could do that yes. with their, you know, the amount of, of countries that want races. I don't think IndyCar can be in a position to tell Mid-Ohio, a longtime partner, hey, you better expand your pit lane or we're going to go somewhere else. Also, it's probably in your top five healthiest events. Yeah, absolutely. It's huge. And so when we're looking at the show in general on the weekend, what better way to add some excitement than Saturday qualifying? You better qualify in the top 28 or you're not starting the race on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, they used to have this at Mid-Ohio in the past. This right. is not like a new thing. I, I don't hate the idea of more than just bump day, quote-unquote bump day, being at Indy. Daguerre says no, but there should be an introduction of F1-style penalty points to assure quality standards on drivers. I mean, they have IndyCar as their own standard, and I don't think they have an issue with that currently. I don't think so. Big D Cart says no, let them all race. Pot Shevchenko says cap the field at 33 at the 500. All their tracks should be based on their physical capacity. What I think is the interesting question that follows from that is, how do you handle it? There are more cars than the track can take. And he goes on to say, firstly, I don't think full-time cars will go above any track's capacity. It'll be part-time cars causing it, so easiest solution is to range ahead of time with teams, so part-time schedules they'll end up going above track capacity. And in the case that a weekend does have more cars than can run pre-qualifying, Drivers who don't make it can race in the weekend's Indy Lights race. That would make qualifying a pretty captivating spectacle and draw more attention to Indy Lights. Problem is, the races that get more entries usually are the races that are in more demand with partners. So the Indy GP, that's going to get more. Nashville, you would think, will get more. I mean, we expect to have 27, maybe 26 if the 11 car isn't there in Nashville here in about a month and change. That's something to think about. I think the easiest thing is, is in, and one of the textures said it is, you know, some of these races, they're going to cap the entries and for part-time entries, you're going to have to decide, are we going to take a chance and go to mid Ohio and potentially not qualify? Or do we play it safe and go to a place like road America that has plenty of room, right? So yeah, I feel like that's a sensible solution to this is look, some of our, our events are going to be capped in entries. At least starters. Entries, you could have 50 entries. I don't care. But in terms of you have to qualify in the top 28 to start the race. Vicky Lane 26 says, I think most tracks can comfortably accommodate 28 cars. Seems like a good number. Human Spectre 1, no cap. We want to encourage teams to add and new ones to form. Laser Disco, I just love that we're even asking this question, right? Who would have that, thought I that? I mean, yeah, that's the f- big thing, five- right? Or so years ago. Yeah, that's the big thing. And I know everybody, oh, we need to encourage new teams. I think we've done that. I think we've reached that point, right? It's worked. It's worked so well, we're having issues on cars. I don't need to see 38 cars starting at Texas. I really don't. No. We saw that happen around that number. At How many started at Vegas? 30 or so. I mean, I know it was a unique situation. I don't need to see 30, 35 cars at a track. That's not... Especially when only 22 are making money in the leader circle. Run underscore mark underscore run. Depends on the length of the circuit. You could run 50 cars at Road America. Yeah, he mentioned that. Indy Turn 3 Gang says no. And says, I remember the first year of the Michigan 500. They had a last chance race to set the back of the field. Continuing on, why te 
T-E-H-F-Not, one of my favorite uh, handles. <laughs> Let them all race if the track can't fit that many. Send the slowest qualifiers home. And Zaxi8771, non-500 bumping with a, a gif of a chicken with that, like, bewildered look. Right. You, you, you probably recognize it. But Docking. Well, so here's the thing. A lot, is, a lot of responses here. A lot of good stuff. Yeah. Here's the thing with people. Oh, you want to encourage entries. But you know what this does by capping it? It encourages competitive entries, right? Right now, IndyCar is still in a position where no matter how bad you are as a team, you can enter the IndyCar series. You know, you can be a backmarker. Fortunately, right now, we don't have too many of those teams that, you know, we look at and say they shouldn't be out there. But... You open that door when you have unlimited entries. And you know what? It becomes a lot more competitive as a series when you say at most of your races, we're only starting 28 or 30. So you better have your crap together and you better be competitive or you're not going to make the race. And I think that's where IndyCar was in its prime and cart and all that is you had the best of the best, right? At every race, you had to show up and be fast and good. And it didn't matter if if um, you had this driver or that driver well, except from 96 to 2007. Right, right. What I'm saying, like the heyday of car, 80s, 90, you know, early 90s, is it was the best of the best of the best, right? So if we're talking about returning to the so-called glory days, that's part of it, right? Is you better be a damn good team with a damn good driver if you're going to start races in IndyCar. And I have no problem with returning to that. All right. And a, quite the uh, response... On Indy Lights, uh, I posted this. Indy Lights is going to have 20-plus cars next year at this rate. Hunter's Way 67, the Optimist. Sure hope so. And make them the Saturday headline race when IMSA is not on the weekend schedule. Yeah, don't make them race at like 9 or 10 a.m. Right. That can't help. But then Indy Nathan, the Pessimist, it always looks more promising than it ends up being. Seems like some deals always fall through. Well, we're hearing about who's being added, but we're not yet hearing about which teams could gone so it's good i mean i i feel like the move to under the penske corporation umbrella is only going to continue the rise and and continued health of the indy car of the indy light series i am analog on the foyt uh, racing issues for mid ohio as far as sponsorship how often was a sponsor pulling out resulting in a driver at losing a seat mid-season at indycar i would guess in the 90s and 2000s it happened a lot yeah i think so that seemed to be more common, but there were more people to back them up and yeah. be a replacement. Definitely. Run underscore Mark underscore run said, why is it any car racing at Watkins Glen every year with a, a pick from that event? Not a lot of people showed up. True. They, they tried before and then uh, replies to that. Uh, the race article that we talked about earlier, Hunter's way 67, encouraging stuff. The self or co-promotion bit is way forward, I think, particularly for ovals. Pilot Shevchenko, that first point is one I've been making more vehemently recently. IndyCar has been complacent for long enough. And again, that's talking about self-promotion. We've been talking about it for a while. You have Penske, who has promoted races in the past, and it seems like it's finally moving forward that way. Yeah, it's it's helping the re- the overall health of the series with, with Penske Corporation in control, not just the top rung of the ladder. Replies to Felix Rosenquist's deal. Uh, some of these we didn't get to last week. Brafog. I'm excited to announce that I purchased ground beef, sliced cheese, and hamburger buns at the store today. I have enough condiments for the next month and beyond. 
I'll confirm whether I'm having cheeseburgers for dinner in due course. <laughs> so that was funny. Yep. Hunter's Way 67, typical McLaren non-speak. Uh, the reply there. So, look, I get it. People either love or hate this team. It's good for the sport. And then replies from our poll from last week, which these are the final results because it was still active last week when we were recording. Who drives the number seven car for Aaron McLaren SP? 34% said Renus VK, 32% Felix, 25% other, 9% Scott Dixon. Some new responses, Hunter's Way 67. I can see AMSP wanting Dixon, but if it comes down to Felix and Renus, got to stick with a cat. He's been more consistent this year and improving every weekend. Brof Ogg says, I think the timing is right for Dixie to go to spam. The 8 and 10 cars are competitive for CGR and are both ahead of the 9 in the point standings. Dixie going to spam would open a seat for VK at CGR, but has he proven himself worthy enough for Chip to offer that opportunity? That is the question. Well, I mean, when we're talking about, and one of the texters made a great point with Felix Rosenquist and Renus VK is while Felix hasn't done enough, I don't think, to assure himself of that seat, I don't think Renus VK has done enough this year to prove that he's worthy of that seat either at this point. I mean, Felix is eighth in points at this point, and now he's he's very much helped by that fourth in Indy comparatively to Renus VK at 33rd in Indy, but that's being factored in. The fact that Renus VK finished dead last at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway tells you something, doesn't it? Yes. Vicky Lane 26, I hope it's Felix, maybe VK. I honestly don't see Dixie leaving CGR before he retires. Daniel SEM 2004 says, Shocker of the century, Lando Norris. What? I don't think that's happening. He just got an extension <laughs> from McLaren. But again, it's it's funny. It's entertaining. And isn't that what we're going for? So that's a look at the mailbag. News and notes items. Not a lot to get to before we wrap things up this week. Alex Pillow, the 2021 IndyCar Series champion, up in the ESPYs for best driver category. Did you see this? Bob Pachris, who covers NASCAR, racing content on USA Network will be streamed on NBC Sports website and app, not Peacock. Really? Yeah. Well, that's, funky. That's tough. Robert Just Wiggins, another app I have to download? But you can't watch NASCAR on Peacock. Oh, I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you see Max Chilton? I broke did. the uh, time shootout record in the McMurtry Sperling. Uh, the VW IDR had the previous record. I was beaten with a time of 39.081 seconds that at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Watch the video. That fascinating stuff. Electric car, too. So Good for Max. Very cool. Robert Wickens, as I mentioned. Uh, race winner. Race winner in the Michelin Pilot Challenge TCR race for Brian Herta Autosport. Congrats to him and Mark Wilkins. Lando Norris on Colton Herta. More opportunities, I guess, for people to get into Formula One, too. And if it's for someone like Colton, then it's fully deserved. Do we expect to see him in an FP1 at some point this year? This year? Yeah, toward the end of the season. Okay. I would think so. Does Pato Award get an FP1? I would think so as well. Good. And Will then, I get an FP1? No. Sorry. Lola Cars. New owner hopes to take Lola back to Indy. It's from racer.com. At the moment, it's a single make spec chassis, but could that change down their line? Sure, and I'd like to have Lola in a position to make a credible play at being back at a place like Indy if and when the regulations allow for it. Unfortunately, I don't see that changing in the next, I don't know, decade. It's an exciting article to read. It gets you thrilled about a potential second chassis, 
realistically, it's a ways away. A long ways away. Yeah. I would think any car would go electric before having multiple chassis really? manufacturers again. Yes. All electric before multiple yeah. chassis? I think Dang. so. Yeah. I do not feel confident. What about fusion power? No. <laughs> okay. Adam Nuclear? Stern. No. No. <laughs> Adam Stern, Sports Business Journal, the F1 deal. They renewed with ESPN 75 to 90 million per year for rights, up from 5 million annually right now. That's wild. It is wild. Well, it's good because Formula One really could. Use the money. Tweet of the week. This from Tony DeZeno. Anytime Bernie Ecclestone talks, and it's a gif of Keenan Thompson just saying, nope. Oh, man. That sums so it up. He's, he was backing up Nelson Piquet, yeah. which I don't know if he was mistranslated or whatever because it was in Brazilian or whatever. That was his, I haven't seen anything to say, okay, that was possible or not. But he also said he would take a bullet for Vladimir Putin, apparently. I did not see that. I, I don't know if that was part of the same rant or what, but, um, oh, Bernie. That's all you can say at this point. Just brutal. All right. Random split air driver of the week time. All right. We're going to Indy Racing League 2011. We're going back to Gallus Racing, and we're going to go with Didier Andre. Hey, I've heard of him. Yeah, a full year in the series, actually. Didier Andre, born in Lyon, France. He competed in the 1990s in Indy Lights, including two years with West lights and won a race there uh, i think he won let's see laguna seca i think in indy lights yes but his one year in the indy racing league 2011 did the full season finished 20th in points for gallus racing was in a g-force oldsmobile and did not qualify for the indianapolis 500 that year but did get a fourth at richmond his best finish and i think is only no he had a 10th at homestead so those were his two top 10 finishes uh, that year, also competed in the Nissan World Series for a long time. In 2006, he drove in Le Mans, and I believe he won an LMP2. Yeah, 2003, he won in the LMP675 class, ah. 15th overall, but first in his class, third in 2005 in LMP2. So had some success at Le Mans as well. Still in his 40s, so he's still in his prime, if you ask Tony Kanaan and uh, Elio Castroneves. But, Same uh, age as uh, TK, right? Yeah, yeah. 47. Takuma Sato in that mix. Yeah. But um, yeah, did just one and done for uh, in Indy Racing League, did an entire season with Gallus Racing. So uh, Didier Andre, this week's random split era driver of the week. All right, we'll be back next week to recap the Honda Indy 200 at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, plus any IndyCar news and rumors that come out of the weekend. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.